Well, hey, welcome to Northridge Church. Man, I can't tell you how excited and pumped I am that you are here. Uh, welcome home, something we say every weekend. Welcome home to our Webster family, our online family, and our Rochester family. And man, we do desire that. We really do. We, we work really hard to make this place feel like a family. And so whether you're a first-time guest or you are a regular Northridger, man, we want this place to feel like a family. What that means is it's a place where you are honored, you're cared for, a place that you look forward to gathering together, a place when we're done online, you stay in the chat and you, you talk and out in the lobbies, right? We, we hang out as a family, we chat, we go to lunch together sometimes, right? That's what a family does. And that's what we want here at Northridge Church. And so welcome home to each and every one of you. And you know, it's, it's that season, right? Things are in full gear, especially, right, school started. We're two to three weeks into school. And for my family, we've, we've made the decision to, to homeschool our kids. And so my wife, Ashley, she leads uh, that charge. She loves investing and teaching in our children, teaching our children. And part of homeschool journey is we got to find some extracurricular activities for our, our, our children to go to. So every Wednesday, my wife, she gets our car and she loads up, you know, my family and, and, and Malachi's best buddies, Jackson and Jet, and they go to uh, Grace Extras where they get to kind of choose some extracurricular activities that they want. And one, one extracurricular activity that I'm really excited that my oldest daughter is in, her name is Joelle, and she's learning at this place, ASL. She's learning sign language. And let me just pause here. And can I welcome, can you help me welcome our deaf community? Yeah. Hey, listen up. We normally clap, right? So church, we're going we're gonna to do this for them, right? We're going to honor them, right? We're going to do this. This is how we clap in ASL. Yeah, we are grateful to have you. And let me say this to you. Welcome home. We are honored and grateful that you're here. And we believe God's going to use you guys to bring the gospel to the deaf community. So we are grateful to have you here. And so my daughter, Joelle, she's learning sign language. She's learning ASL. And so she gets in the car that first Wednesday, and she, she gets in the car. She says, Mom, Mom, I'm so excited. I want to show you some of the, the things I've learned. I want to I show you the numbers and the, the letters of the alphabet that I've learned. And as she's telling her, her mom in excitement, her buddy, Jackson, who is sitting near her, interrupts her. And he's like, I know sign language. And she's like, well, first of all, why did you interrupt me? <laughs> Jackson, like, you weren't in our class. You don't know sign language, so don't interrupt me ever again, right? And Jackson is, is like, well, he interrupts her again. He's like, no, 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 no. I, I know sign language. I know ASL. And so my wife, she's kind of hearing this dialogue in the back, and she's like, Jackson, do you really know sign language? Are you, you know, kids, they kind of say anything. And, 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 and Jackson interrupts my wife, and he's like, no, I know it. I know sign language. And so Joelle and, and, and Ashley, they kind of look at Jackson. They're like, okay, if, if you think you know it, prove it. And this young little five-year-old boy just starts signing the letters of the alphabet. And both Ashley and Joelle are like, okay, you know sign language or some of it, right? <laughs> And have you ever been in that place in your life where maybe you're with a friend, a spouse, and, and they tell you something that they experienced? And it's so big and so crazy that you're like, listen, that's great, but I don't believe it until you show me the evidence of it. Right? You, you got to prove it to me. I've got to see it with my own eyes for me to truly believe that. And honestly, I, I think that's how we treat God. Right? We look at God and we say, God, I'll trust you but you have to prove yourself to me. 
You gotta prove to me, God, that you're worthy of my trust. And today we're gonna talk about the proof God has given you that he is worthy of your trust. And so if you got your Bibles, Judges chapter six is where we're gonna be. Judges chapter six, I'd encourage you to jump into the Northridge app. You can take notes along with today as we discuss them in our community groups later on throughout the week. And if, if you're new to Northridge, right, you haven't been here in a couple weeks, we started a series uh, two weeks ago called Against All Odds. And what we're diving into is this, this word called trust and this major issue that we have in fully trusting God. In week one, I just, I asked the question, do you trust God, right? Do you trust God? And I'm not talking about this like pieces of your life. I'm talking about 100% of you, every nook and cranny of your life is given and surrendered to God. Do you trust him? And then week two, we talked about how we begin to learn to trust God. Right? We recognize who he is. Our, our theological roots, we have to dig them deep. And we have to understand who God is and his rightful place in our life. And when we get to know God and we put him in his rightful place in our lives, we begin to trust him. And we're going to dig even deeper today. Judges chapter 6. Let me kind of catch you up. Last week we were in Joshua. Joshua, the book of Joshua, if you just go to the, the, the next book, it is the book of Judges. And so Joshua, the walls of Jericho, Joshua leads the nation of Israel into the promised land. And so God fulfills his promise all the way back to Genesis to Abram. He'd make a great nation out of Israel, and God comes through in that promise. And so Joshua leads the nation of Israel into the promised land. But if you know much of Israel's history, you know the relationship with God that they have is kind of like a roller coaster. It's up and down. One moment they're following God, God's providing for them, it's miraculous. And then there's other moments where they just kind of completely forget about God and go their own way. And that's kind of what happens at the beginning of Judges chapter 6. So what it says, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Malachites, and other eastern people invade the country. And so Israel is not at a good season in their life. They walk away from God, and the results, just so you know, when you walk away from God and your life doesn't go the way you want it, it, it it's kind of the way it works. And Israel is realizing that, right? For seven years, they do evil in the sight of the, the, the Lord, and, and so God gives them over to the Midianites, and they oppress them. Every time they try to get, you know, a civilization set, crops planted, the Amalekites, the eastern people, they just wipe them out. And so the oppression of the Israelite people is, is, is it's hard. It's a difficult season. They're living in fear. And so God has a plan to deliver them. Verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So an angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, and this is God's rescue plan for Israel. And here's what's odd about Gideon. We find him threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, for us in our society today, what, what, is, what is threshing wheat, right? We have combines for that today. Right? And so threshing wheat, like why is he threshing wheat in the wine press and why is that weird? Well, in this culture, what they would do is they would grow crops, right? And they would grow wheat and they would take this little circular thing and it had like a, uh, like a fence on it, a little filter. And they would go to kind of a peak where there was a lot of wind and they would take their wheat, they would put it in this little filter and they would use the wind to thresh and the chaff would go out and they would have the grain, right? And so for Gideon to be threshing wheat in an area, a wine press, which is in the ground, there is no wind when you dig down. And so it doesn't make any sense for him to be doing this in this location, right? He's got to now create the wind and, and, and try to filter it out. 
And so why, why, why is Gideon doing this? Because he's afraid. Right? He, he's terrified. He's terrified of the Midianites finding his, his crop. He's, he's terrified. He's living in fear. And here it is, right? From Gideon to us, right? This makes total sense because one of the major stumbling blocks that comes to trusting God for us and for Gideon, we're going to see, is fear. Right? And we know fear, don't we? We've experienced fear, right? This last season has been full of fear. I don't need to give any examples because we all have them. We know what fear is. And I believe for many of us today, if not all of us, fear is one of the major walls we have in fully trusting God. Because some of you today are saying, man, if I truly trust God with all of me, every nook and cranny, there's a little bit of fear that rises up in you. You're like, I'm afraid I might lose some friends in that journey. You're afraid that you might not like the lifestyle that God wants you to live. You're afraid that you might not be popular anymore. You might, you're afraid you might have to sacrifice a little bit. And you're like, man, do I really want to live like that? And that fear builds this wall, and that wall keeps you from trusting God. Many of us deal with it. But here's what's interesting. We, we often don't see the trail that fear leads us on. We feel the emotion, but we don't realize the results of fear in our life. We're like, ah, my fear is not that big of a deal. No, it is a big deal. And we're going to see it in Gideon's life, and, and we'll relate to it in our lives, because when we feel afraid and we allow fear to consume us, fear causes us to doubt God. Fear often causes us to question whether God is there. Fear often causes us to question whether God cares and loves us. And Gideon did the exact same thing, right? The Lord comes to him and says, mighty warrior. Look what Gideon says. He says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Huh. wonder if you ever asked that question to God. Right? Where are all the, his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Right? God says, the Lord is with you. And Gideon's like, hold on a second. Don't, don't tell me that nonsense that God is with me. Have you been around for the last seven years while the Midianites were destroying our crops and killing my friends? Don't, don't give me the garbage that God is with us. God has abandoned us. He's bailed on us. And really, that's not Gideon speaking. It's his fear speaking. Right? He doesn't believe that God is with them based off of what he's seen. And here's what's interesting, right? This is what we often do in, in our lives. Right? Remember, go back to the beginning of the story, right? It says, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this is what happens for us in our lives, right? We walk away from God, we bail on God, and then we blame God for our circumstances. Right? Israel consciously chose to go a different direction than God, and then when God isn't there anymore, they're wondering, well, why have you abandoned us, God? He's like, I never moved. You're the one who left. And how many of us do that? We, we walk away from God, we make poor choices, unbiblical choices, we see the results of that lifestyle, and then we tell everybody, God doesn't care about me. No, you're the one running from God. He hasn't left you. And God says, I'm with you. And that's what fear does, right? It lies to us. Fear says, hey, you should doubt God cares about you. And Gideon is feeling that. And then the trail continues, right? Fear leads to doubt in God. And then that doubt leads to a lack of trust in God's plans for you and for his life. Because God is coming to call Gideon to be the deliverer, right? You look at the book of Judges. We're not talking about lawyers. We're not talking about legal people. We're talking about deliverers. That's what judges were. God used the judges to deliver the people of Israel. And so here's this lack of trust. Look at the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? 
pardon me, my Lord. I wish Gideon would teach my kids some manners. He's just really good at that. Like, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel when my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family? And so God's like, I'm going to use you, Gideon. And Gideon's like, hold on a second, God. Do you know who I am? Do you know where I'm from? Right, Manasseh, this is a bunch of weaklings, and I'm the, I'm the least in my family. And so he's doubting God's plan. Like, God, this isn't a good plan. I think you went to the wrong house. Right, like the guy next door, he's the one you want. Right, not only does he doubt God's capacity and ability, but he doubts himself. Many of you today, you don't believe God can use you because of your past or whatever it is, and ultimately, it's what your fear is lying to you. And that's Gideon. That's all of us. And so guess what Gideon wants from God? He wants proof. He wants the evidence that God is worthy, that he is worthy, God is worthy of his trust. And so look what Gideon says. He says, the Lord answered, I will be with you. Let's remember that because we're going to come back to that. I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So Gideon replied, if I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Right? This is what we want from God, right? This is, God, hey, if you're calling me to something, I, I need to see the evidence of it. I want you to give me a sign. I want you to write it in the clouds for me. We constantly ask God for a sign. And so God, Gideon goes, please do not go away until I come back and bring an offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. And I love this part of the story. I love God's response to Gideon. Gideon's like, I need proof, God. I need the evidence that it's actually you talking to me. And so he goes away and he's like, wait, God. And, and God just simply says, I'll wait for you. And, and I think this shows us. We want to talk about growing your, your theological roots deeper. It, man, I love this about God. And I, you should be thankful. I should be thankful about this about God. Is that God is patient with us even when we lack trust in him. Right? It would have been easy for God to be like, you know what, Gideon? You don't trust me. I'll go find somebody that does. I'm calling you to be a mighty warrior, Gideon, and you're, you're doubting me, God of the universe? Like, okay, I'll go find somebody else. No, God doesn't. He's patient. He's like, I'll wait on you, Gideon. Can I tell you, some of you, God is waiting on you trusting him. He's waiting. You're there. You're close. And God's like, I'll be patient. We just did a series, right? Fruits of the Spirit, marked by. This is our last series we did. And one of those is patience, right? They're just a mirror image of the character of God. And one thing we learned is that when we describe God, we should describe him as a patient God. Because let me tell you, we've all experienced the patience of God. And so he's patient with God. I need proof, okay? Well, I'll give you some proof. Here it goes. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, all the ground is dry. then all the ground is dry. Then I will know, then I will know, look, it's his words, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung it out. The dew, a bowl full of water. So Gideon says, God, give me a sign. And when I see the sign, I'll know. And so God does exactly what Gideon asks. The fleece is full of water, the ground is dry. He wrings it out, it's a bowl full of water. Right, and Gideon said, I'll know when you give me this sign. Well, kind of. I'll kind of know, right, God? Because then in verse 39, he says, then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. It's never a good line to start with God, right? Just never. Let me just make one more request. Isn't this what we do with God? God, you show me a sign. God shows us a sign. I need one more, God. I, I just need you. I just need one more. So Gideon says, allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. And so Gideon just asked God to flip the script, and God does it. Here again, you see the patience of God with us. 
Gideon, I'll give you exactly what you need to trust me. God provides. He's faithful. And so now Gideon is at the point where he begins to trust God. He's, he's, he's there. He's like, okay, God, I'm ready. And so he goes and he assembles an army to fight the Midianites, to win the battle of the oppression of the Midianite people. And now the script's about to change. Because God has proven himself to Gideon, but now Gideon's got to prove himself to God. He gets this army. Look what happens. It says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver the Midianites into your hand, or Israel boasts against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So this, this is where the story gets crazy, man. Okay, so Gideon goes on this journey and he, he establishes this army, 32,000 men. You're like, that's a huge army. Here's the problem. They're getting ready to fight against 135,000 men. So the odds are already stacked against them. They're going to fight a nasty army that is way bigger than them. And God comes to Gideon and he says, uh, hey, Gideon, you have two men. Hold up, God, I didn't hear you wrong. We don't have enough men? Yeah, I'm with you. No, 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 Gideon, you have too many men. God, that doesn't make any sense. Do you know who we're battling? And then God says to Gideon, he says, tell every man that's who are afraid to leave. 22,000 men left. That shows you the state of fear that Israel was living in. How bad the oppression was that these guys don't even want to fight this battle. And so the first chance they get to run for the hills, they leave. 22,000 of them. Don't miss this, though. Guess who didn't leave? Gideon. Right? Remember where we, we picked up Gideon's story? What was he doing? He was threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding in fear from the Midianites, and then God gives him an opportunity to bail, and what? Gideon didn't go. Something has changed in Gideon because he was living in fear, and now he's standing out in faith, and his army is down to 10,000 men, okay? 10,000, 135,000. Ooh, those odds aren't very good. God wasn't done yet. Verse 4, he says, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men, <laughs> What, God? Okay, I'm going to leave now, God. Yeah, there's too many men. No, what? He says, take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, then he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. The Lord told him there, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as dogs lap from those who kneel to drink. 300 drank from cupped hands lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Okay, so this is the only part of the story that I understand. Okay, because if you're going to go to battle with 300 men, you're going to want them to drink like animals. <laughs> right? Like you're going to want those nasty animal guys that are like, yeah, we just... Okay, now, now we're going to fight a battle with 300 men versus 135,000. God, this is dumber than blowing over walls with your breath, right? Like, this makes absolutely no sense. A, a thousand times we fight this battle, and I don't care, the greatest underdog still loses. And again, guess what God wants? He's asking the same question he asked Noah. He's asking the same question he asked Joshua. And he's going to ask it to Gideon. Gideon, 
Do you trust me? Do you trust that I can win a battle with 300 men versus 135,000? So here's a question I have for all of us. How did Gideon go from a guy hiding in a wine press full of fear to a guy who is willing to march into battle and probably going to die? What happened? And I think a lot of us, we, we would just say, okay, well, God gave him the proof that he needed. But I don't think that's actually the answer. Right? I think it helped in the journey, but I think the very thing that changed Gideon's mind was something that God said to him over and over again. It was a promise, and it's the same promise that God gives you and I, and the promise was that God would be with us, that he would be with him, and the evidence of that is the Holy Spirit. Here's what's amazing today. Right? Here's something miraculous that happens when you cross the line of faith. When you believe in what Jesus accomplished for you when he defeated your sin on that cross and that you believe in his resurrection. When you cross that line where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he becomes your, your, your leader and your forgiver, for, your forgiver, guess what happens? Something miraculous. God himself comes and lives inside of you. Right? And in the church today, we underplay that way too much that the actual spirit of God lives in me and he goes with me wherever I go. Right, look what John 14 says. It says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then he says, peace, right? What's the opposite of fear? It's peace. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And guess what? I, don't, I, don't, I do not give as the world gives. And you don't, have, you don't have to let your hearts be troubled. And you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. Because I'm right there. And, and, and look at this. Right? This is the game changer for Gideon. It wasn't the fleece and the water. That was the proof God gave him, and I think that helped. But I, I think if you go back to Gideon's story and you study it deeper, look at what the angel of the Lord said to God. The very first thing he said to him, he said, Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This is the first thing. And, and don't miss the order. He said, Gideon, you want to be a mighty warrior? you got to first bank on the promise that wherever God calls you, he'll be right there with you. Later on in the story where Gideon is still not buying it, he says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And God's like, Gideon, that stuff's nonsense. Forget about all that stuff. You want to know why? Because <laughs> I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And, and that's enough. That's enough. Okay, let's go back to the last story, right? Joshua. What was the difference in Joshua? It was the same thing, right? Early on, my favorite verse in the entire Bible, Joshua as a young leader getting ready to lead the nation of Israel to Jericho. What did God tell him to encourage him? Look at it. It says this, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Guess what? You don't have to be. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to be discouraged. Why? Because I'm with you, Joshua. And that is all you need. That's the proof that you can bank on, Christian, today, that, hey, wherever God calls you, no matter what storm you walk through, he'll be present, he'll be before you and after you and all around you because he is with you. And can I tell you, man, I have, I have learned the value of being with somebody because I've lost the ability to be with somebody. You guys know my story, right, in February? Right before COVID, my dad died, shockingly. 
and it hurt so bad. And the thing that hurt the most was I could no longer be with my dad. I could no longer pick up the phone and say, Dad, I need advice. I could no longer pick up the phone and say, Dad, let's go ride the boat. I could no longer pick up the phone and just hang with my dad on the front porch. His accessibility was stripping from me, and it crushed me. But to know that the creator of the universe, God himself made a way for us who believe in him, that no matter what we deal with, no matter the highs or lows of life, he will be with us is enough to conquer our fears. It's enough to get us through anything that we deal with in life. It was enough for Gideon to march into battle with 300 men staring at 135,000 and say, guess what guys, God is with us, therefore we'll be victorious. So you ask the question, like, how in the world do you win a battle with 300 men versus 135,000? Well, you win it through confusion. Because <laughs> God told Gideon, he wasn't like, hey, I, you know, I, listen, I, you have faith, but I'm not asking you to march into that battle. We're going to win it a different way. At night, you're going to surround the army. You're going to bring torches, and you're going to bring horns, and you're going to bring glass to break. And look what happens, Judges 7, it says, when 300 trumpets, that's Gideon's army, sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp, that's the Midianite camp, to turn on each other with their swords. And so Gideon didn't even have to pick out, he didn't have to grab his sword. He just watched God take care of the army itself. They defeated themselves because he trusted in God. And again, how does, how does Gideon get there? Like, I try every day and I have fears. They rage inside of me and sometimes they win. They conquer my fear. They're the wall that's standing in front of me. How did Gideon do it? And I think there's one huge mistake we, 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 we do with our fear is we think we have to eliminate it. We think we have to just pretend it's not there. No. You see, you, you got to learn this about trust when it comes to the wall of fear. Trust is not the absence of fear, but it's the obedience despite your fear. I promise you, when Gideon marched to that battle, he, he was afraid. I promise when Daniel stand out on that battlefield looking at an undefeated uh, Goliath, he was terrified, but his fear, but their fear didn't keep them from obeying God. Some of you today, your fear wins the battle every time. And today, I believe it starts to change. I believe today we can conquer our fear, not by pretending it doesn't exist there, but realizing that God is way bigger than it. That he's with us. I love what Nelson Mandela says. He says, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. And what is that? It's the fact that God is with us. That's what I'd ask you today. What are you afraid of? We all have fears. Every single one of us. I don't care how tough you think you are. There are things we are afraid of. And maybe today in the cultural climate that we live in, maybe today you're afraid that you might lose your job. And you're wondering how you're going to provide for your family. Maybe today you're afraid for your future because of a diagnosis from a doctor. And you're not sure how it's going to go. Maybe today you're... You're afraid for the future of your kids. Or maybe you're afraid because you think you might never be able to have kids. 
Or maybe today you're, you're afraid because of the future of our country or the economy cra crashing. Maybe you're here today, you're, you're afraid because if you truly trust God, you know it's going to cost you something. What are you afraid of? What fears keep you up at night? Today, we're going to conquer them. Today, we are going to win the battle with the fears that keep us from trusting God. Today, we're going to kick that wall over. Today, we're going to push through it, and we're going to say, God, because you're with me, I don't longer have to be afraid. And here's how we're going to do that. We're not going to muster up the strength to do it. We're going to lay our fears at the feet of Jesus. Jesus.